Amen. Good morning. How are you this morning? Amen. Amen. Today we are going to finish up our Kingdom Living series, digging through the Ten Commandments. So if you want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21, that's where we're going to start. Um, you can also find it in Exodus 20, but uh, for today's purposes, we're going to be looking at the Deuteronomy 5, 21 passage. You know, when we started this series, um, and I introduced the, the, the series, one of the things I talked about, if you remember, was that um, one of the most important things, most important parts of learning how to um, walk in kingdom um, ways and kingdom living and to be obedient to these Ten Commandments is, is the condition of our heart and the attitude of our heart. That it's not just something we can put our minds to and decide, I'm going to be obedient, I'm going to do this. But it has to be something that we desire to do in our heart, that we set our heart on, that we want to please the Lord, that we want to be in fellowship with Him. We want to know Him better. We want to love those around us better. And as we finish up, we come right back to that same thought, especially in this commandment. The last couple of commandments that we've gone over, in particular last week when Pastor Billy was talking about um, that thou shalt not lie, he, he emphasized that that is actually talking about the words we speak. You know, it really is talking mostly about what we say. And before that, we're talking about not stealing. It really is about what we do. This commandment, however, really begins and kind of focuses on our heart. Deuteronomy 5.21, it reads this way. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his manservant, his maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these commands. We thank you that uh, they are meant to show us a better way. They are meant to bring us closer to you. They are meant um, to bring us freedom that we may live full lives in your kingdom as kingdom people. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, this commandment really is beginning to focus us again on our heart. And for me, this commandment is a little bit um, sneaky in regards that, in two ways. One, God does his normal thing. This is not one of those commandments you can check the box off. Because if you start checking off the box, you go through the commandment says, shall not cover your neighbor's wife, check, or spouse, check. You shall not Set your desire in your neighbor's house. Check. I can do that. Or land. I can do that. Manservant, maidservant. Yeah, no problem there. Or his ox or his donkey. And just in case you were wondering if there's anything else, there's that word, don't covet anything. That's where God likes to get us, you know, like <laughs> just check that off. It's also one of those commandments, in my opinion, that can sneak up on you and sneak up on you in your life. And I'll explain it to you this way. Try and be, you know, just really honest. This is something that I tend to struggle with. I'm a very compulsive, uh, single-minded person. It's just kind of funny. I, I can be really distracted sometimes. But when I get a hold of something, you can ask my wife, there's just not a whole lot else I can focus on. I, I tend to think about it. I tend to read about it. I tend to, you know, watch YouTube videos or Google or, or whatever it might be. And so just for your um, pleasure, so you can know that um, everybody struggles, one of the things that uh, I've always wanted, so let me back up just a touch. These things that God is talking about, aren't necessarily bad, outside of maybe the first one. should never want somebody else's wife or spouse. But the other things aren't bad. It's not bad to want an ox or to want a donkey. Everybody wants a donkey, right? Every, everybody wants <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, it's not bad to want these things, but there's a phrase that, uh, that starts the, the second half of this command. says, you, now sh you shall not set your desire. There's a difference between wanting something and saying, oh, that, that'll be helpful. And, and, and that, that changing from a want or, or something you thought would be nice 
to something you begin to set your desire on. So for me, this all started right after college. We were down in Florida, and we were visiting a friend, and we went out on their pontoon boat. Yeah. And we were in Florida, and they had, I guess it was, four, was it New Year's or Fourth of July? I think it was New Year's. New Year's. And we took the pontoon boat out, and we spent all day on the pontoon boat, and we went out and watched the fireworks over the water. And for some of you, that might be, you know, secondhand. You might do that all the time. I, I don't know. For me, it was the first time ever, and I was blown away. And ever since, I wanted a pontoon boat. Always, always. And for a while, it was just, oh, that would be nice to have. And, and then I moved into uh, my new house, or you know, about seven or eight years ago. And wouldn't you know it, my neighbor, <laughs> back in the corner, has a pontoon boat. All right, just for story's sake, we'll say this neighbor's name is Austin. And uh, he's got a pontoon boat. And I thought, you know, Austin's not a lot different than me. It's not like Austin's got a lot of money or he's super rich or, or something like that. And he's got a pontoon boat. And something began to change in my heart. And I didn't know it at first until then he took the pontoon boat out and uncovered it and hooked it up to this white truck here. See that white truck? Hooked it up to his white truck, and he washed it off. He took the top off, and he, he put the boat top on. What do they call it? A canopy, I think, right? They put the boat top on, and he got his cooler out, and he pulled out, and I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to the lake. I'm going to spend all day at the lake. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but for me, something in that moment began to change. And all of a sudden, I didn't know it until maybe a month later or maybe – Okay, let's be honest, a couple years later, I didn't realize I had set my desire on a pontoon boat. If you guys ever on Facebook Marketplace, yeah, Craigslist, yeah, you, you could save items on there. Well, if you went to my search history and my save history, I had like 25 to 30 boats saved on my history. And I realized that I was spending any kind of free time I was spending looking at boats. And then any kind of mental free time, I was spending thinking about boats. Even when there wasn't mental free time, and I was supposed to be focusing on something else like staff meeting or something like that, I was thinking about a boat. And it's weird because <clears throat> I'm not really in a position to buy a boat. I don't have any money to buy a boat. I don't have anywhere to store a boat. I don't have the time to hook a boat up to a car, take it to the lake, spend all day, wrangle three kids into a boat, make sure they don't drown on the boat. I don't have time for that, but yet... My heart was set on it, and it was consuming all kinds of different parts of my life. My, I would talk to my wife about a boat, and she, she wasn't quite on board. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, she wasn't as excited about the boat as I was, and she lives in a much more realistic world <clears throat> than I do. But it began to consume my heart. It began to consume my thoughts, you know, my time, and there's nothing wrong with a boat. See, in this, in this commandment, all these things aren't necessarily bad, but it's about the condition of your heart and my heart. And, and what do we focus on? What do we desire? What do we crave? And this is what we tend to do. We tend to see what other people have, <clears throat> and we, we tend to want those things. We tend to begin comparing our lives to those around us who have things maybe that, that we want. We compare you know, oh, they've got a nice house, or they've got a nice this, or they've got a nice that. And we begin to live lives that are focused on those things. And it's quite a dangerous, slippery place to be. First Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10, read this way. First Timothy 6, 6 through 10, says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment, we're going to come back to that. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. 
But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. When we want to live in that kind of place where that is what brings us contentment is that we are fed and we are clothed and we have a place to stay. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and, and into many foolish, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I want to push this idea a little bit. Here, he's talking mostly just about money. He's talking about things. But often what we also do is, is compare lives. Not just what we have and don't have, but lifestyles. In the commandments, it says, <clears throat> you should cover your neighbor's house, land, manservant, maidservant. That begins to speak not just, I don't think he's talking about you shouldn't cover, covet their servant, like that actual servant. I think he's talking about the idea of having servants and having people do your work and having nice things and, and lifestyles. And we begin to set our focus and our desire on those things and we begin to want lives that look like somebody else's. And unfortunately, we live in a day and age where that is compounded by social media, right? Because nobody puts up their worst moment on social media. And that's okay. We're, nobody wants to see that, honestly. But we tend to, in our minds, when we see a picture of somebody and their family and they're out having a good time on a pontoon boat, we just assume their whole life is on that pontoon boat. And they're always just kicked back and they're always just tan as can be and all their kids are behaved and they're not trying to jump over the side. Then they're just, their life is that way. That's what we do. We begin to assume that life is that way. And we begin to set our heart's desires on, that's how I want my life. Why aren't my kids that way? Why isn't my spouse that way? Why doesn't my car look that nice? Where's my boat? We set our heart's desires on that. We begin to look for fulfillment in things. We begin to look for provision in things. Something that will bring us happiness. Something that will bring us joy. If I can just get this one thing, I'll be okay. And then I, I won't have to worry about coveting anything else. And that's not true. It's an empty cycle that just keeps going and going and going. We tend to look for fulfillment and provision instead of looking for the one who can provide and the one who can fulfill. But there's a secret here in this commandment. Uh, we tend to look at things at the last half of things um, when we begin to look at, at rules and regulations, or at least I do. I'll, I'll speak for myself. That what I need to do is I need to not set my desires on things of other people. That I need to be content with what I have. But I want to propose to you today and give you some scriptures that says it actually starts before that. And there's a much better way than trying to force yourself to be content. Force yourself not to want somebody else's stuff. Force yourself to not covet everything that's around you. And if you want to take a look with me, it's in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, Do not store up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Catch that last part? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, often we try to say, okay, I'm going to change my heart. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to change these kinds of things, and I'm just going to stop. This scripture says, where your treasure is, your heart will follow. 
And so what I think we need to do, what I feel like God is saying to us is we need, Paul says it in Romans 12, we need to renew our minds. And we need to redefine what is valuable. What is your treasure? Because wherever you set your treasure, whatever you decide, this is valuable. This is worthy. This has worth that it does not compare. Your heart will follow. And your mind will follow. And your time will follow. And your thoughts will follow what you decide is valuable. I had decided that boat was valuable, that it was precious, that it was something I wanted. And so my heart and my mind followed after that. My actions then followed after that. But this is saying where your treasure is, your heart will follow. So we need to consider what is our definition of treasure? What is our definition of what is valuable? What is worthy? See, Paul had it down, in my opinion. Paul had it down in Philippians. He writes, and, and I'm sure you guys have heard this before, says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content through any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. When I've read that before, I thought, man, Paul was just a strong-minded guy. You know, he just decided, I'm going to be content if I'm not fed well. I'm going to be content if I don't have any clothes on. I'm going to be content if I have lots of money and I have lots of clothes. And if I have everything, I'm going to be content. But that's not what he actually says. He says, I've learned the secret. And I believe the secret for him was he had decided what was valuable and what was his treasure. He said in, in Corinthians to the people when he was ministering to him, he says, for I vow to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. For him, that's where his value was. And nothing else mattered. Nothing in the world mattered to him. He had decided the most valuable treasure he could hold, the most valuable treasure he could go after was Christ and a relationship with him and Christ crucified. But often what we do is we put value on everything else and wait for God to come in behind. And God is saying, oh man, if you can just grab a hold of what is valuable, the whole world changes. Your whole life changes. You are free from wanting and desiring and needing and trying to figure out how am I going to make this happen? How can I change my budget so I can buy this or that? How can I borrow money so I can buy this or that? How can I do this or that? How can my life be like theirs? Paul was never concerned about that. He was concerned about Christ and Christ crucified. So what we need to do is decide are we willing to make that our treasure? If you want to follow the commandment, you will never be able to do it on your own. You won't be able to say, okay, that's it. I'm just never going to want and desire and set my heart on something else because it will happen tomorrow or right after you say it. But if you redefine what is treasure, if you redefine that what I find most valuable is my relationship with the Lord, that I love God. And that after that, what I find most valuable is what he says, and it's love people. See, if we can hold fast to that treasure, then coveting is the last thing on our mind. Because coveting is, isn't loving our neighbor. 
I'm pretty sure that if my neighbor Austin found out that this is how I felt about his boat, he might not talk to me. Or if he found out that I took a picture of his boat <laughs> from the street in my pajamas, <laughs> he might not talk to me. But if I valued Christ above all, if I valued my relationship with him and the things that he calls me to do and to love God, to love people, to give to the poor, to care for the orphans and care for the widows, and that that's what I valued, then I would not struggle with coveting. I would not worry about what my neighbor has or doesn't have. I actually might worry more about what he doesn't have and how can I meet that need. Instead, I'm, I'm worried about how can I take that off your hands. This is what we have to get to. This is what God is calling us to. And there's something very interesting that happens uh, in God's kingdom because we serve the most loving, the most lavish, the most gracious God that wants to pour out blessings on us and wants us to have good things. It, it, don't miss it when Paul said that I've learned to be content with little and with much. It's not saying that I always didn't have anything. He's saying there are times when I had something, but I was, I was content. I didn't need that, but there were times when I had it. Because there is something that happens. When we grasp a hold uh, of that, that loving, full relationship with the Lord, and we make that our treasure, we make that our focus, there's something that begins to happen. And don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about prosperity and that next week you're all going to have a jet or you're all going to have a new car and, you know, I'm going to get a boat because I'm pretty sure it's not happening. But there is something that happens when we begin to grasp a hold of this. Hebrews 13, 5, 6 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with whatever you have because God has said, Never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? When we begin to find our value, we begin to understand it doesn't matter what goes on in our life. God will never leave me. God will never forsake me. He will always be with me. He is my helper. Who, what can anybody do to me? Luke, 36, uh, Luke 6, 37 and 38 says, do not judge <clears throat> or you will be, or you will not be, oh, sorry, let me, let me read that again. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And get this, give and it will be given to you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This commandment is not about not having nice stuff. It's not about not well, it, wanting something nice. It's about the heart condition. And if our heart gets to where God is and gets to that relationship, he wants to pour out blessings in your life. He wants to take care of you. He wants to show favor so that you can testify to his name so that you can testify to the goodness in your life of God, the Christ who has saved you, who has redeemed you. Mark 10, I'll read two more scriptures. Mark 10, 29 and 30 says, Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left his home or his brothers or his sisters or his mother or his father or his children or the fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times. As much as this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecution, blessing of God, by the way, it's a whole other sermon, and in the age to come, eternal life. See, nobody who gives it up for me, nobody who gives away everything in my name 
will lack anything. But yet you will have it a hundred times more from now and into eternity. And then Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. This is how the kingdom of God works. Often what we want are answers, and we want provision in our lives. Even in this last statement, it says, those who refresh will be refreshed by others. You know, sometimes when we need refreshing, we decide, how am I going to do that? I'm gonna, i got to figure out how to do that. i got to figure out how to do that. The Bible's actually saying, if you want to be refreshed, refresh others. If, if, if you have needs in your life, give to others. Let God meet your needs. This is where our heart has to be. But in order for our heart to be there, it's not just I'm going to decide. You have to redefine what is valuable. That those things that your neighbor has, or those things that you see on TV, or those lives that you, you see your friends have or you think they might have, that's not the most valuable thing. Good things, great things even. The most valuable thing is Christ and him crucified, that he died for your sins, that he redeemed your life. And if we can hold on to that, if we can make that our treasure, our heart begins to change. And we will we'll begin to see that we don't need those things as much as we thought. This is not a one-day process. This isn't, okay, I heard this today, and I'm going to walk out changed man, changed woman. This is an everyday occurrence that we have to begin to recognize and begin to define what is most valuable to me. And so I challenge you this week to examine your life. Where are you spending most of your thought time? Where are you spending most of your free time? What are, what are you desiring most in your life? What are you working towards the most? I, I promise you, if you track your time, each day, you'll quickly find out what's most valuable in your life. And then you and God can have a conversation about it. And he will be gracious and he will show you where the changes need to come and, and where you need to come to him and, and to find that treasure. It won't be hard. It's, it, it's not hard to find out, but it is hard to begin to change your life. But I promise you, if you want to be free from that always needing something to fulfill your life or always needing what other people have, Find your treasure in Christ and him crucified because he paid for your sins to give you eternal life and that you may walk in this world a free man or woman. And there's no greater treasure than that. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you truly have paid the price for our sins, paid the price that we may be alive in you. Lord, and I pray that you would help us this week to understand that more and more. To understand that you are the one and only treasure, that you are the most valuable treasure, so that, Lord, our hearts will be changed, so we won't desire those things, that, that we won't want and need to fulfill or find fulfillment in other things outside of you, and we won't even be concerned about those things, but know that you never leave us and forsake us, that you will meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory. Lord, I just pray for each and every one of us that we be willing to draw closer to you and to love you more and to love those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.